Blog Talk Radio. Shemalek Mahilama Shemahezahilma Sona Shenevorat Fed Hakuig again, Mahilma. introduce our, our good friends on the show. Frank, I'd like to make a tribute for the show to a, to, to a great guy who ran the Tampa Bay Lightning real good when he got here from Power Sports and Entertainment, Mr. Bill Wicket. Bill's been my boss for 20 years and a good friend for 20 years. Guys, and you know, we every time when we first started the show at WWPR, Bill always came up with tickets for every every week on the show, and it was fantastic. And it's just a it's target feeling, but he's going to be very happy going to join his buddy, Sean Henry, 
up in Nashville to join the Predators. I'd like to introduce our, our guest and our, our legends from Jersey Shore slash Sarasota, Mr. Don Henderson and Roger Hender up in Atlanta, Mr. Roy Cummings here in the Tampa Bay market, and also Frank Carroll, spinning the Dallas. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening, Tommy. Always good to be Always here. Always a pleasure, Wednesday. Tommy. Thank you. <laughs> Thank good evening, you so Tommy, much. and uh, thanks for the uh, little tribute there to uh, Bill Wickett, uh, who's uh, leaving Tampa Bay, but uh, not leaving us, really. And you're right, uh, Billy Wickett, a, lot, uh, a man behind the scenes uh, at, uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning for, uh, as you say, about a good 20 years now. And, um, yep. as, boy, talk about, a, talk about a pro. He was the uh, – Director, oh. Vice President oh. of Public Relations. That's what he came here for. He moved up through the ranks and uh, in, into the executive uh, suite. And um, he's one of the finest people you'll ever know. And uh, as right. professional a, uh, a guy as you'll find. And uh, he did a lot. Uh, he did a lot to put the Lightning on the map. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people behind the scenes don't get um, don't get recognized no. as much for their uh, for their efforts, but. Uh, Bill Wickett is uh, one of the guys who um, who really helped that uh, that organization get on its feet and get going after uh, after the initial uh, ownership group uh, moved on. So uh, good for Billy Wickett, and uh, he's moving on to new places and new digs and um, new job. And uh, I'll tell you what, Nashville Predators are better off for it. Uh, wouldn't yeah. wouldn't surprise me at all one day if uh, Billy Wickett's in charge. Uh, somewhere in an NFL, NHL executive suite because uh, the league could use him. Yes, they could. Roy, remember the times when we'd play golf, you know, with me, you, and Ira, and Rick Peckham, Chief, and Emily, and he he always would meet us, where are you watching the game? And that was such, such a sweet thing. I just thought about that today. He, he, would, he would meet us at one of the establishments around us, around the area, and he also would buy the first rounds from us. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. Always took care of us. He was uh, as good oh, a public a relations uh, person as you'd find and uh, as good a, good an NHL executive as you'll find. So, again, uh, tough loss for the Lightning. Great uh, great uh, addition for the Predators. And uh, as long as he's still in the NHL, uh, the league's better off for it. Yes, Roy, I think you made a real key point. I think Roger will jump in as well as Tommy. And, you know, we deal with so many different clubs and so many different personalities. And people like Tom don't really come to the fore. You talk about the players, you talk about the owners, you talk about the general manager. But each one of those themes that we talk about and uh, either praise or or hate, uh, there's always a lot of great people behind the scenes that nobody ever really yeah. knows anything about. Mm-hmm. You know, you're right, uh, Don, and I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say this about Bill Wickett. You know, look, um, I've dealt with, as all, as all of us have, we, we are members of the media. We've been in the media. That was our career. Uh, media gets mm-hmm. uh, knocked a lot. But you know what? At the end of the day, the media is really only as good when you're covering a team, um, in some cases, as, as the, the public relations people allow you to be. All we ever ask for is good, solid, hard information. And by hard, good, solid, hard information, I mean facts. When things are going well, give us the facts. When things are going poorly, give us the facts. Don't don't tell us one thing and it's you know some you know version of your version of the truth. Give us the facts. And Bill Wickett uh, was as good as anybody I've ever dealt with, guys, in just giving the facts. 
good, bad, indifferent. Mm-hmm. He provided the facts and gave us the access we needed. Um, when we needed somebody, he gave them to us, whether it was a good time, bad time. Uh, Bill knew how to handle it. I mean, he just he, he knew exactly how to handle tough situations, mm-hmm. bad situations, embarrassing situations for people and, and organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what? He, he treated the media uh, and the members of the media as if they were an equal partner in this, which is how it's supposed to be done. And I'm telling mm-hmm. you right now, guys, um, I don't know – I would say that right now, uh, clearly Bill Wicker was the best PR man I ever dealt with. And wow. I've dealt with dozens, if not hundreds. And if if he could somehow <laughs> pass his knowledge on to so many others, and not just in sports, big business, politics, et cetera, et cetera, everybody mm-hmm. would learn a little bit better how to deal with uh, with getting the truth out to the public, which right. is what – the media's job is, uh, whether it's sports, mm-hmm. business, politics, entertainment, whatever it may be, uh, the job is to get the truth out to the to the people, and Bill Wickett made that possible uh, oh. because he's the best there is. Bottom line, so Roger, we had a lot of we had a lot of success in Philadelphia because we had uh, really two, three, you know, whether it was the National Hockey League and the Flyers, uh, the, the Philadelphia Phillies for so many years, the Eagles. We worked for some of the very, very best for maybe 25 years. Oh, there's no doubt about it, Don. Uh, you know, you go back to uh, – I can remember uh, talking to Larry Schenk about getting a media pass at Connie Mack Stadium when I was like a sophomore junior at Temple. I mean, that goes wow. back a long time. And, and then, you know, it continued on, uh, you know, with uh, the, uh, the, the old Sixers, and then uh, as the Sixers changed and the Flyers, uh, you know, Zach Hill was with the Sixers, and now he's been with the Flyers for so many years. And uh, the Joe Cadillac. You could never. Joe, Joe Cadillac, Jim Gallagher. Yeah, all of those guys. And, and uh, you know, a lot of them, uh, Joe Cadillac's still alive today. I see him at the Sports Writers Banquet. And his wife, she was with the Sixers and then the Flyers. So uh, you know, it, it was. You're right. It was just a, a great, a great group. And then also in the collegiate uh, side, uh, you know, Marie Wozniak. You know, I first met when she was with uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, what was it, the ECAC, I think, and she was at St. Joe's all those years. And just right. wonderful people, wonderful efficient people. That's right. Hey, Roy, should we tell the guys how they? Lightning got started that one, the opening night. <laughs> well, uh, you'd have to put it in. They wouldn't understand it. It wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any context for you. But, um, no. but uh, you know, Lightning had, had a rocky start. When it, all, when it all came together for them uh, that first night, and they're out there beating the Blackhawks mm-hmm. in a way that nobody ever thought they could in this little barn of a place out at the fairgrounds. Yeah. Uh, you know, some people uh, – some people were ready to, to celebrate the fact that um, they got this thing off the ground when a lot of people never thought yeah. they would. And uh, maybe their focus wasn't always on, on doing the job uh, as, as the night went on, but that's okay. That didn't bother, didn't bother us a bit. I, hey, I got to admit, I'll tell you what, guys. Uh, I, I'll tell you this, Tommy. Um, Tommy's referring to a question that I asked of a PR guy for the Lightning who, uh, whose answer was basically, hey, that's a great question. I'll see you guys at the – at the post-game party, but um, <laughs> that was the answer I got. But uh, 
<laughs> I got to tell you, you know, I was involved in that team from the beginning, from the first day that Phil Esposito uh, came to Tampa and suggested even bringing a team to Tampa. Uh, I was on that beat. And so it was two and a half mm-hmm. years of following Phil and his venture to try and get the team. And then here we are, you know, after all that, and, you know, questions about ownership and money and everything else. And, you know, where are they going to put the team? And, you know, what arena are they going to play in? And can they, you know, can it work inside this, uh, this barn that they've got at the fairgrounds and everything else? They end up playing a game. And I got to admit, you know, that night, we were about halfway through the second period. And I'm up, up there watching the game. And, you know, this is the kid who, who grew up in Chicago watching the Blackhawks, right. watching mm-hmm. hockey, and just my favorite sport. And here I am covering the NHL. This is a dream come true for a young kid and uh, young reporter. And, and I lost track of time and space myself, guys. I remember thinking to myself mm-hmm. at some point about, you know, 12, 14 minutes into the second period, like, shoot, i got to write a story when this is over. <laughs> I, better start, <laughs> I better start taking some notes here or something. Uh, thankfully, great. Chris Contos made it easy for us, and um, right. but uh, mm-hmm. it was just one of those nights. Uh, a lot of people um, sort of lost track of what they were there for because there was a great <laughs> yeah. achievement that was uh, that was realized that night, and a lot of people were involved in bringing that um, bringing that all together. And uh, so it was it was just a great night, and thankfully the, the team has gone on to do even greater things since. Yes, and the greater things up there. But I remember I was at the old fairgrounds where I always stood next to Phil. Is that one quarter he stood? I stood that next, that one quarter because up in the press box you go allow ten people up there. I remember that be allowed ten or more people. Things start shaking up there. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, you know we we have one thing in common, and I know Roger will kick in on this too. That you know everything was really established when we were growing up. The Eagles were there, the Phillies were there, the A's were there. Well, we saw two teams. We saw the Philadelphia Flyers created at our time, and we saw the Lightning mm-hmm. created at our time. They're That's two right. franchises that we had the honor of seeing from the very beginning when nobody believed, nobody believed mm-hmm. in Philadelphia that the Flyers were going to be successful. I don't know about Tampa mm-hmm. Bay because I wasn't here with you guys when they started, but I want to tell you, they blossomed, the Flyers have blossomed, and now they're right at the top of the heap. Well, yeah, you, you know, know Don, this, Don, it's a great point. Uh, I think, you know, there was belief that the Lightning would survive because a lot of people believed in Phil Esposito, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, Phil, Phil knew, the, the, you know, the inner workings of the league and, and how to make things happen and make sure that things were successful. And, and he was just – there was no way he was ever going to quit. Um, he was going to make – you know, mm-hmm. he was going to will that organization into being and, and into relevancy – uh, no matter what. But when the Flyers came in, you know, you're no. coming off just the original six there, or maybe at that point right. eight. So uh, I think it was much tougher for the Flyers to have made it. Because don't forget, you know, what Penguins came in around the same time, and, right. boy, they struggled for years to figure things out. And the California competition, the competition they had yes. in the city, Roy. I mean, you had the Eagles, the Phillies. I mean, you had everything going in yeah. the Philadelphia 76ers were – were with Will Chamberlain. You had championship teams, right. and you were coming in to yeah. try to break the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Lightning came in. All they had was the Buccaneers. Uh, didn't have baseball yet. Uh, there was still some people oh. hanging on to the Rowdies at the time. But uh, you know, obviously, soccer was soccer, and you know, talk. I mean, uh, truly a niche sport in the in the states. So, 
um, yeah, the light from that standpoint, in terms, the lightning kind of had an edge in that way because the community, you know, full of people who were realizing, you know, hey, hockey's back. We found something we had. Right. We, you know, it's like it's like your grandmother's, you know, oatmeal cookies or whatever. You know, you you haven't had them. You thought <laughs> yeah. you'd never get them again, and all of a sudden, here's right. hockey, and it's like, hey, here's something we never thought we'd see again. You know, we once mm-hmm. we moved out of the, you know, the northeast or the Midwest or or wherever it might have been, Canada, for that example. You know, for that reason, uh, you know, people thought, I mean, I certainly never thought I'd see hockey again on a regular basis. Um, and here I am covering it. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the, the Lightning had that edge in terms of, uh, you know, appeal to the fan base. Uh, it was something that uh, in a way was a bit nostalgic, something that you were bringing back for people that they thought they'd never see again. Uh, so they had that edge. And uh, and then, you know what, they, they put a good product out. It was and, and and Terry Crisp, a former member of uh, the best uh, Flyers teams, uh, you know, he knew how to do it. He, he knew he basically took the same Ed Shiro formula, guys, and mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and put that on the ice in Tampa and said, we're just going to outwork everybody and outhit everybody and make it at least entertaining. We, we may not score a lot of goals and we may not look good every night, but we're going to at least make it entertaining and we're going to be tough to play against. And if we do that, the fans will probably get a kick out of it. And guess what? It worked. Yes, it did. Well, you know, one of the things Don Don mentioned uh, on competition uh, when the Flyers came in, the Big Five was like, I mean, the Big Five in those days. Right. I mean, just think what those doubleheaders were at the Palestra. There was no Mm -hmm. better venue and excitement than to go and see a Big Five, Villanova St. Joe's, Temple St. Joe's, Mm -hmm. even, you know, Penn was winning one mighty league title after another then. So, I mean, it was just uh, an exciting thing. And Ed Snyder, uh, you know, God rest his soul, what a job he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he he did. Also, like, remember the the organist first, uh, Roger and Don, remember this, the first first, uh, um, flyer organist was Larry Ferrari. That's right, yeah. Channel 6 is Larry Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but then they got Joe DePolis on there now. Joe DePolis is is better than every Sunday. Joe every DePolis. Sunday morning, uh, had the Larry Ferrari Larry Ferrari show every Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Did he start playing? It was a different world, Roy. It was a different world. Oh no, you're absolutely right. By the way, I misspoke a second ago when I said Ed Shearer. I meant Fred Shearer, obviously not his son. But uh, that you know, again, the Lightning, uh, they kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about a different world, guys, and, and that's kind of what the Lightning tried to bring back was that right. a little bit different world. I mean, they came into the league when it was kind of run and gun, and, mm-hmm. you know, they had no choice. Uh, the way the the, uh, the expansion rules were just a little bit different for Tampa Bay and Ottawa uh, back in the day than they were for uh, certainly Las Vegas and, uh, and, were, and will be yeah. for Seattle in the NHL. And uh, there's no question, uh, it was uh, it was a tougher time for uh, for Tampa and Ottawa to get their teams going. And mm-hmm. uh, in a time when uh, there's a little bit more offense going in the league, uh, Lightning had to shut it down and slow it down a little bit and still make it entertaining. And uh, and they managed to make it work. So, um, well, Roy, you know, I think them, you probably know right. better than anybody. And, and uh, you know, I think the owners finally came to the understanding that we have to make these teams at least competitive. And you look at what happened mm-hmm. with Vegas, as you just indicated, when they came into the league as a brand-new team, new franchise, new city, but they had players. I mean, they were competitive exactly. right out of the chute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They won. Oh, you're absolutely yep. right. 
Yeah, that was that was a big thing when the when the lightning came in. Uh, the league, number one, it needed some money. It needed some cash. And, um, you know, they figured, well, one way, let's, you know, charge $50 million to at least two franchises and see if we can make some quick, uh, quick money that way, and it worked. Um, but they also, you know, the bigger issue was um, they had an idea of what it was that they needed to do in order to expand the league footprint to get better national television uh mm-hmm. Uh, purchase, you know, ratings, uh, not not just ratings, but 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 TV packages. They needed to make more money. Yeah, for this those exposure. Packages. Yeah, they mm-hmm. needed to be a national sport, not a regional sport. And so the idea was, you know, how far can we go? And can we get into Seattle? Can we get into Tampa? And once they got into Tampa, well, then the next thing you know, uh, they're in Miami. So now you got two teams in the Southeast, and uh, mm-hmm. and they, they kept the team in Atlanta or tried to at the time, and. Uh, you know, the, the next thing you see, they're expanding to uh, to Arizona from there and, you know, moving teams out of more traditional markets like Minnesota into Dallas and places like that. So um, right. it was all part of a bigger game plan. And you know what? It's I'd say it's worked out. Uh, I think we all miss the days of the, uh, of the original six, but that's because we were all in original six or original 10, 12-like cities. Uh, where we right. can see it all and, um, you know, with special stuff. But uh, I don't think there's any doubt the NHL has done the right thing over the years and uh, and figured out how to do it, done done it well. The, uh, certainly, You know, Roy, like, what's you know, really sad is that uh, you know, when you mentioned Atlanta, uh, I was at uh, opening night for both those teams and, wow. and, I, and a follower, okay? And I'll tell you what, there, it's really sad. There's no reason – that Atlanta shouldn't have an NHL team now. It wasn't for lack mm-hmm. of support, uh, fan support, or anything like that. It was I've said it before many times. It was all poor, poor management. Um, that's, that's all it was. And, of course, when you talk about the Bucks, that look at what the league got because, because of the team going to Winnipeg, the Threshers. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right, Uh Roger, you really are right. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I was a massive uh, Atlanta Flames fan. Uh, after I moved to, to Tampa, to the Tampa Bay area from Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, that was the closest team. And, uh, you know, right. I could get, the, I could get w, the, the radio station, uh, you know, over the air. So it was, that was the best hockey I could listen to. And so I became a big fan of, the, of that team, you know, the Tom Lysiak uh, guys mm-hmm. and Bernard, that whole group. Yes, absolutely, and uh, you know, but you're right. I think at some point I would like to see the NFL, NFL, the NHL, correct that problem and that mistake. And it's not necessarily a mistake. You're right. They just, you know, uh, Canadian cities, you know, were were willing to pay more and offer more and uh, produce more, you know, get more money for it for an owner than uh, than Atlanta was, but it wasn't uh, a matter of it wasn't like Atlanta didn't support the teams. I mean, there was a time when the Flames were the they were the team to see uh, yeah. in, in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and um, I'd like to see that that corrected somehow. I'd love to see them go back and and Atlanta be in right. the, be in the NHL again. I think it's kind of important for the league to be honest with you. I, do. Well, I think one of the things that Tommy Tommy would do there still as well as anybody because we talked about the original section. We'd see the play and play and play. I think the fact that they were, it was necessitated for them to make up a different formula for a schedule this year. I think the teams are going to be much more competitive now than they have been because you're going to see each other many, many more times like the original yeah. six did. 
Yeah. Great point, Don. Great point. And the, and the one division is all made up of Canadian teams. The other division is made up of the uh, of the South, uh, of the old Patrick division. You have everybody playing together. The Devils, Flyers, Pittsburgh. You know, the, the, the two right. New York teams up there. It's the old Patrick division. That's all time hockey. In, in Lightning's division right now, it's made up of Nashville and the Panthers right now. The Panthers are in Lightning. It looks like they'll be a nice little rivalry for many years to come, thanks to this new division lineup temporarily for this year. It's a, it's well, definitely you know, an interesting. Uh, go ahead, Rod. No, no, I was just going to say, you know, we were talking about it uh, earlier. You know, the Flyers uh, play, lost to uh, the Penguins last night in Pittsburgh, and Pennsylvania mm. yesterday approved uh, a, a fan attendance. And uh, the Penguins Ooh. were really on top of everything, and so was the NHL. That, I mean, that's that's going to be my point, really, because the Sixers mm-hmm. are playing Utah tonight with no fans. Because when they were asked about it, they said, well, we, you know, this just happened. We didn't have a plan. And everybody this morning on talk radio, as I mentioned earlier, they're going crazy. You didn't have a plan. You've had a year, you know, to think of different ways. Right. So, I mean, here, here's one of the great games that, uh, you know, national TV and everything with you, the mm-hmm. Utah Jazz. And here there's no fans there, and they could have fans there tonight. Shows the yes. NHL really is on top of things. They are. They are, Roger. It's a good thing about that. They're, they're on top of everything right now. I think fans could be in the buildings the next couple of weeks down here in Tampa, I, I hope. And it's just, it's just a great feeling to have, to have the NHL. And Gary Bettman's done one heck of a job of, of getting this act together after, you know, for a year of this, of the year of wearing masks and six feet distance apart. He's done a great job of, of getting the hockey in the bubble. And getting Tommy, Tommy, I think not only that, I think he did a great job before he even started to do that because he got an agreement. Yeah. I mean, they've they've yeah. modified it a little bit now since the uh, right. uh, the original agreement was was established. But they had the agreement before they even got into the bubble or any of the other things. They were ready yeah. to go. Yeah, no, they were. That's a great point. That's a great point. They're ready to go, and and the only other teams that followed the NHL's pattern, like the Major League Baseball, then the NBA. Did this did the same thing up there, and hopefully, we baseball hasn't made it yet. They've they've they don't have an agreement yet. No, no agreement. You know, just seeing a couple games of spring training, the X amount of fans allowed in and allowed in the games. And Don, you remember all those bases be packed for the Clearwater, the Dunnings, and the and over Tampa with the Yankees. Those games just be packed and up there to sell a preseason like exhibition baseball ticket for. Uh, go for maybe fifty dollars. Red Sox and Yankees over over then Legends Field. And I, I will continue to think when I was doing the Sixer games and we were going to Chicago to play. I always thought that that original building was the greatest mm-hmm. building. Uh, 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 Roger just talked about the Bluster. The Bluster was fantastic because of the doubleheaders and the size of the arena and the fact that you were right okay. down on the floor. But I want to tell you, if you went to Chicago. And you brought mm-hmm. kids a game in there with the tin roof, and all, whether it was the Blackhawks or whether it was the Bulls. Roy, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was, guys. And uh, I got to admit, you know, being from Chicago and uh, seeing my first hockey games there, and uh, mm-hmm. that, believe me, that was a um, that's that's that was special. Uh, Chicago Stadium mm-hmm. was uh, one yeah. of the most special buildings 
you would ever find. And um, it's it was it was it was I'll tell you what it was amazing how well kept that place was inside. On the outside, mm-hmm. it was in a bad neighborhood. As you know, as time mm-hmm. went on, and um, you know, you, you you definitely had to pay somebody to watch your car if you were there. Uh, parking uh, in, in the area and uh, that kind of stuff at night. And from the outside, it looked like a, a, a warehouse getting ready to be uh, imploded. But once you got inside, Tony Esposito once yep. told me, he said, you could, you could eat off the floor in that place. And he was absolutely right. Um, it was as pristine a place as there was uh, for, for, an, for an arena that, that I've ever been to. And it's just the atmosphere was just incredible inside that building. Um, talk about, uh, man, talk about 18,000 sounding like 30 or 40,000. That's mm-hmm. what happened inside Chicago Stadium. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, the venues that you guys broadcast from, uh, little gondolas at the top of the me- bottom of the mezzanine level. Uh, sight lines were just crazy ridiculous and uh, as intimate a building as you would ever find. It was uh, just absolutely special, guys, just special. Mm-hmm. Roy, I went to one day to Chicago State with my daddy's on a business trip to Chicago and Toledo, and he said he said one thing: the Flyers are playing the Blackhawks at, at Chicago Stadium. Sit on your hands, do not move. <laughs> he said to me, "Do not fear and do not do nothing up there." And you know that's that was, you know like as, as a youngster, you know as a young adult, you want to cheer your team on, but not Chicago Stadium. Sit on your hands. That was. <laughs> that was such a great feeling where they go in there. Oh my God! The, the organist would come out there playing, playing that, and the PA announcer, and it was such a great feeling to go. That's one of my highlights of my, of my dad and I trip to Chicago to watch the Flyers and the Blackhawks. What a, what a, uh, that's, what that's a great a highlight, game. Tommy. But you know what, guys? I'll tell you what. The Spectrum had its own atmosphere, and that yes, was something did. special as well. And you guys know it better than I do. Because, uh, you know, I saw my, my uh, dozen or so or more games in there for sure over the years. But, uh, uh, man, oh, man, let me tell you, that, that place had an atmosphere, too. Yes, and the room, 18,707. Roger, it is. Yeah, and the roof went off the first year. Remember that? Yep. The roof yep. blew off. Yeah, that's right. That's of course, Jerry, the the – the building and his business when that uh, when that blew That's off. Right. Well, it's that not only that, but his apartment house his apartment house sank or business office sank in Chicago. That was what really put yeah, him out of business. Be, and uh, but uh, two was roofs blew off. Building. One was the Spectrum in Philadelphia, and the other was in Kansas City. The roof blew right. off in Kansas City too, and we had to go down in the old arena to broadcast games because it was uh, uh, the arena was no had the old. Uh, uh, arena because the building had no roof, <laughs> so we had to get downtown. <laughs> that's where De- oh, that's where Double D Daryl Dawkins broke the broke the uh, backboard before oh, they had the rules. Right. That you had to, yeah. you had to have a backup backboard, and they never had it in Kansas City because we were in the arena. <laughs> we had to fill in for half an hour until we went out to a school and we got a backboard to bring in the building. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> My son, when he was a kid, waited on Daryl Dawkins at the local Burger King, and and he knew who he was, and he started talking to him about stuff like that, you know? My son said it was fantastic. 
Oh, he was a character, boy. He was stuff. really a character. Well, guys, I know you got another guest coming on. I'll leave you. Well, listen, always, uh, have a great week, hour. Roy. Thanks, Roy. I enjoyed reminiscing uh, down memory lane, guys. It was thank, great. Thank you very oh, much, Roy. It's always a pleasure, and it was sort of sort of fun tonight to go in a little different direction and not talk about individual teams, but just talk about right. the uh, the sports that we know in general. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, enjoy sure it, guys. All right, take care now. See you next week. Thank you, Roy. I think Tom yeah, Romain is coming up next. Tom's no, ready? Tom's coming yeah. after, no, Tom's coming next on the next segment. Uh, oh, okay. uh, oh, Mike's, up, Mike's up now? No, no, no. We have, Mike's uh, on, up now? On the line with, no, on the line with us we have uh, Craig Schaefer. Craig is a, uh, a professional uh, sports uh, agent, and uh, we. Mm-hmm. I ask, uh, he's a good friend, and I ask him to come on and <clears throat> with the uh, – out the combine this year, I wanted to, to explain how they uh, go from step one to getting a kid uh, a job. So, Craig, how are you doing tonight? I'm great. Thanks, Frank, and I, I'm glad to be back. I think I was on the show about a year ago with you folks. Great, great. Welcome great back. to have you. Greg, it, was right after, it was right after the draft, I think, when you guys were all – you're all Philly mm-hmm. fans, and uh, when you drafted you got first, it. and nobody could, nobody could figure out why I didn't. Now we'll know. Now there's, there's a person <laughs> – there's a personal story about that 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 Philly. You want to tell them about your bar mitzvah? My my story. Yeah. You want me to tell? Yeah. So, so I I was raised. Uh, I'm not. I was raised in Miami, but my father was uh, from Philadelphia, as, as was my mother, and uh, I was raised a Philly fan. So at my bar mitzvah back in what was it 1981 or 82? 82, I think it was. They won the World Series in '80, as you guys know. And my mm-hmm. centerpieces for my bar mitzvah were all like, there was a, you know, the Steve Carlton table, the Mike Schmidt table, the Gary Maddox table, oh. the Pete Rose table. So I was, you know, I was a Philly fan. And then I obviously uh, started rooting for the, the the lightning. I mean, the Rays down here uh, being in mm-hmm. Tampa for the last 27 years. So. Great. Oh, a great story. You know, you know what, uh, I'll mention it while uh, I'm thinking about it when you brought it up. Uh, I was talking to Dan Baker, you know, the Phillies PA announcer, Greg, and mm-hmm. uh, he, he's been, uh, you know, out recovering from uh, surgery. Mm. But I talked, and Frank, I meant to let you know uh, we can talk to Dan in the next couple of weeks at any time. Okay. Wow. I'll get a hold of him. Thank you, Roger. Great. Great to, great to hear you. Uh, yeah, we've been following pretty closely, uh, Roger, and uh, it was such a go there for a while about uh, – you know, what he was going to be able to do and what he wasn't going to be able to do. And uh, I'll tell you, it's great now that uh, we know he's going to be back. Uh, he really w- yeah. didn't want to miss a yeah. game with the Phillies. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, what good news that is. Yeah. Opening day. Opened up. Yeah, maybe we, could, maybe we could put him, Frank, maybe we could put him in the executive offices for the Eagles. Maybe he could make a draft choice for them. It's been a little better than <laughs> they've had the last four or five years. <laughs> <laughs> Now we're talking about draft. Let's let's go ahead, Craig. Tell us how uh, you, as, as as a professional, uh, get these kids from college and, and work through the system and then in, into a, a position. We know that Howie Roseman it's, is dead between the ears. So let's use the Eagles <laughs> as, as a 
<laughs> well, the re- re- recruiting is obviously a, a, a it's a long endeavor. The, the, the NFL require NFLPA only lets you talk to folks when they're three years matriculated out of high school. So, um, some unscrupulous agents obviously have contact with them when they're freshmen and sophomores. You know, you reason you know that some agents pay. Obviously, we don't operate that way. So, we have to wait to the appropriate time period. And then some states have restrictions on how you can contact them. Sometimes you have to go through the school. Or you can't just contact them, you know, with emails or Facebook or whatever. So every school is different. They have compliance office. So that's 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 a difficult problem. Recruiting, recruiting is tough, and you have to build a relationship up, just like anything else. And you're competing against a lot of other folks. And to me, the best way to do it is obviously you get data from teams. You have contacts on, with scouts. You have contacts with the the college scouting departments, which is crucial to see how teams are evaluating players going into the into their senior season or junior season. And, but I, I was one, so I want to myself, myself, not I'm a professional now, but I'm going to my time and money into these players. And it's not cheap anymore with the training and the requirements they were, they ask for. And um, I want to, you know, obviously a player is going to be a, a solid, a, a legitimate opportunity, but also I want a good care of kid. So you have all that. And then when you sign the kid after the bowl game or um, but now, nowadays a lot of players don't even go to the bowl games because of risk of injury. Um, then the next thing is how do, you, how do you move them up the draft? And I don't know, how detailed do you want me to get on that, Frank? How much do you want to hear? Whatever you, can, you, whatever you want to tell us. Yeah, I hear a lot. That's great. Okay, so what happens is um, obviously usually around New Year's or, you know, that time, December, Jan- early January, they can sign. And once they sign, they lose their any any kind of remaining eligibility, and then um, hopefully your player is going to go to the Senior Bowl, which is the top um, bowl game uh, postseason game for purposes of scouts. Every scouting department, every GM, every coach is at the Senior Bowl watching it. Um, so the players that go there are generally, you could be sort of sure that they're going to be drafted, bar- barring a really bad performance at the combine or an injury. And then you look at the East West Shrine, which is in our backyard over in St. Pete, which is a pretty good bowl. Hello. Greg there. Did we lose, did we lose him? Did we, Greg? His line's still open. He must have gone into a dead area. It was well. Oh, okay. There, there he go. is. There he is. Can you hear me? Okay. And yeah, we, so the bowl game's. The bowl games is an opportunity for your players to really uh, pr- promote them to scouts. Obviously, the, the senior bowl folks are already known by the scouting departments. But it's an opportunity to get your, your players to interview. And then, obviously, if there's no combine, 330 players approximately get invited to the combine, juniors, underclassmen, and seniors. And that's the best way to evaluate players on an even basis. Everybody's getting the same, you know, 40 start, you know, the clock and everything else. So everything is even versus pro days. Obviously, because there's no combine this year, it makes it really tough because now these players have to be evaluated at their pro days. So every school that has a prospect will conduct and one scout might come. Scout. You know, you must be drifting in and out of an area where where they're yeah. losing a line. Right, I think so. Well, we we'll just know, hold the, on till 
Yeah, what well, the uh, I find that really interesting uh, about the process you go through, and it's got to be so much different this year, you know, without having the combine. Uh, and uh, you know, I just know that you know my first experience. Well, you know, uh, was uh, was Troy Vinson uh, when he was drafted uh, because I worked with his godmother, who was his agent. And oh, wow. uh, I didn't even know it until I'm at the uh, draft and they're badgering him, you know, who's your agent? Well, my godparents, uh, godparents, uh-huh. you don't have you know, is your agent? And he says, yeah, that's my agent. And he mentions the name. I said, Linda Bodley. I gave uh-huh. him my card and uh, she was an engineer with mobile and he, he, uh, she takes it up. And then I, the next day, Sorry I about talk that, guys. To, Oh, good, good. You're back. So, good. so, so, so the, the the fun part and the part where an agent really has to, you know, the credibility and experience and the relationships matter, is once a player signed, once the player's gone through pro days or combines in other years, then you, you know the combines usually end of February. Pro days are usually in March. They start in early March and some occasionally go into the beginning of April. But then there's a basically the gap between that and the, and the drafts. And that's where, you know, teams are placing everybody, deciding who they rank at what spots. Coaches are calling the players um, to find out, you know, more about them. They're, they're allowed to do phone calls. They're not allowed to bring – there's limited number of visits teams could have players come in um, to their campus. And at that point, that's where they decide who do they like better at, you know, outside linebacker, how do they rank their guys. And that's where, you know, the agent is on the phone with the front office folks, the college scouting directors, the assistant GMs, the personnel directors, and the GMs trying to, you know, say, hey, this guy's a great character guy. He loves the game of football. Um, he's not going to get you in trouble. He's a good character guy. And, you know, that's a big focus, obviously, now in the league because teams have, you know, this personal conduct policy and everything else. Um, they want folks that are not going to get the team in trouble and not get suspended for doing some crazy stuff that we've seen in the past recent years. So, so basically you're trying, you're trying your best to move them up in the dread and the draft, right? You're, that's, you're, you're trying to sell them to go from a fifth spot to a third. Correct. And, you know, and it, it, it could be, you know, obviously they're not going to listen to the agent when it decides, you know, to take, you know, you know, this guy number one or this guy number two. But it does make a difference in the later rounds when you're, you know, you're dealing with wide receivers and they're all kind of flyers in this, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. And then it makes a difference on the priority free agents. And there's a lot of priority free agents that have come out of nowhere that have made millions and millions of dollars being successful in the league. So that's where you want to get these guys moved up because, some of those guys turn out to be, you know, you know, all pro players. I mean, Adam Thielen wasn't even a, a he wasn't even Adam Thielen was not even signed. He was a mini camp invite, and I know this personally because he beat out the receiver that we had that was in Minnesota um, that year, and they'd given the, my, my our receiver a contract, and Adam beat him out in the in the mini camp, and you know the rest is history. So, um, you know, th- those are the guys that you you know relationships matter and. The problem from an agent standpoint, though, is you know, how much do you invest in a guy that's not going to be drafted? How much do you invest money-wise and time-wise? Because a good agent's going to spend all the time calling the scouts and talking to the scouting directors and the GMs and whatnot and trying to advocate for the player. So that's, that's you know, it's, it's cost-benefit analysis. Now, one of those guys hits, you're fine. But otherwise, you can lose a lot of money and lose a lot of time. 
So I, that, many, that's the basics. How many uh, do you have, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in your uh, organization that you represent? It, 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 um, hold on a second. Sorry, my, my alarm clock went off. Um, uh, okay. Right now we have about professional football players. Um, I, I'm, it's like 14 or 15. Some of them are in the CFL. Um, some are in the NFL. We're waiting for a free agency, trying to get a couple guys signed. We have some guys that were re-signed from last year. Um, this year was mm-hmm. a tough year. I, I, you know, we're not, I'm not a big agent. Um, this is kind of a, I love football. I coached football, I coached football, you know, <clears throat> as a young, young, uh, young adult. And I, that's how I got into this. So that's how I met Frank actually, because of the, uh, his connections with the, uh, the, uh, arena football league. So, um, but it's two, it's two, these big agencies, they have, you know, dozens of agents. It's a big, it's a big, you know, law firm or sports agency firm, which has advantages, but it also has disadvantages. So. Yeah. Well, I mentioned when we had lost you that uh, Troy Vincent's uh, agent, when he was coming out of college, I worked with. She was an engineer uh, with, you know, with Mobile Oil, and I worked for. And uh, he, uh, that's who his uh, agents were. His godparents. And and then Linda and well, her husband passed away young, but uh, they had I think she told me one time they had six. Do you ever run into that where you'll have an athlete that has a uh, a close knit relative uh, uh, representing him or her? It, it does happen. I mean, I, one of the notable ones was uh, Vince Young. He was the third overall pick, and I think he had like a family relative or lawyer, you know, represent him. That wasn't really a, he was a new agent to the business. Um, you know, to me, a lot of it is trust. I mean, in anything else, you want to trust the person you're hiring. If you get in a car accident, if you're hiring an attorney, you want to have an attorney that you trust that was referred to you, um, that you, you have a, there's a basis for trust. So I think that makes sense. The problem is those agents, if they don't have experience with the collective bargaining agreement, if they don't have experience in negotiating contracts, it does matter. I know that everybody right. says, oh, if you're the third pick, Third-round pick and your 15th pick slotted. And you kind of are slotted, just like in baseball, they're slotted. But the language in the contracts and the, the uh, you know, ways to fashion contracts, especially when you get out of that first contract, matters. And that just comes from experience just like anything else. And, you know, you learn every day because the, the CBA changes all the time as well, every five, six years, whatever, you know, whenever they have their battles. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there. Our next guest is ready. and uh, But thank you very, very much. And I'm sorry the line dropped out a couple of times because you hit on some really interesting topics. That uh, We'll get it back as we get closer to the draft and, and have you back on with us and give us a little update on what you think is going to happen. Awesome. Very informative. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, folks. Have a great night. Right. Bye-bye. It's a pleasure. Now, our next guest coming up, uh, Tom LeMaine, who, of course, has been on with us many, many times and uh, worked at uh, NBC Philadelphia KYW for a great number of years and also as uh, a backup uh, uh, building uh, announcer for the Flyers in, in Philadelphia at the new Wells Fargo Center. And, of course, as a longtime NBC, yeah, a little bit of everything, weather, sports, did it all, color on the Philadelphia 76ers for a number of years. So uh, great to have Tom LeMay back with us again. But the main reason we're having him tonight, we, we really lost a, a great broadcaster, an early broadcaster before people really knew who Irv Cross was. Uh, Tom LeMay, tell us a little about Irv Cross because 
He was an exceptional broadcaster, and if I'm not mistaken, he was a Northwestern graduate to begin with. Yeah, that's right, Don. And he uh, he and I both came to uh, Channel 3 in Philadelphia at the same time. Um, it was in the early 70s, and uh, he uh, had just retired from playing football. And uh, he, uh, he fit right in. I mean, he was smooth. Um, he didn't last too long at Channel 3 because the network scooped him up. And uh, what a classy guy. You know, and I knew he was, uh, you know, he, he uh, without even trying, Don, he was just good. I mean, he was a natural guy, good good defensive back in, in pro football, and uh, a classy guy, and a, and a great analyst, and uh, just had that knack for being a broadcaster. Well, and the classy guy really covers it because uh, he he was a, just an outstanding young man, and I think for some of the folks that are listening right now that don't go back that far as we do, Tommy, uh, uh, he was one of the first black broadcasters to step in and really put forth a great, great image of what it's all about. You know, I never thought of it that way, Don. I mean, to me, he was just good. Uh, when he stepped yeah. up and, and took the mic, I mean, you would, you would, you know, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't from the broadcasting factory that Syracuse is and something like that. You know, I just said he came from Northwestern, and uh, he just uh, knew the game and knew how to translate information and little nuances about the game in, in a perfect fashion. He was just a perfect announcer, and uh, without even trying, without even, without even breaking a sweat. <laughs> you, you know, Tom, when when uh, we found out that he passed away. I was talking to Frank about it, and I, I'll never forget number 27, uh, Irv Cross. And I remember like it was yesterday when Tom Brookshire broke his leg, and all of a sudden you've got this rookie, number 27, Irv Cross, that's gone in to replace Tom Brookshire. And that was the beginning of a, uh, a stalwart career in, in football. And, and like you said, I mean, just a when he got the broadcasting, just – uh, absolutely a natural and just a class act. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then Brookie went on to uh, to be a fine broadcaster after that yeah, as well. Right, and uh, you know both of them just fit in so naturally. Uh, both different styles, of course. Uh, Brookie had a bit of an edge to him, which was appreciated by those who were watching football. And um, you know, a couple of defensive backs who became good broadcasters. Well, Donnie, uh, three players out of that team, <laughs> Pete Retzlaff, who, of course, worked at Channel 10. Uh, he and Tommy Brookshire together worked at Channel 10. And I think he also worked a little bit at WIP, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, they all came out of that same uh, that same group and moved into television after their days were over. And, of course, Pete went on to be a general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles for a period of time. But they all had talent, and they all were able to maximize the talent they had. Well, you're right, and and he's talking about the guy. Pete Reslaff was another classy guy, very low key, low you know, low self spoken guy, and uh, you know, and another member of the team back then, Tommy McDonald. He worked with me in broadcasting uh, on WIP. He and I did Eagles pre and post game shows for several years in Philadelphia, and uh, you know, Tommy was uh, (laughs) Tom. Tommy didn't have the broadcasting peeps the other guys had, but Tommy, Tommy was Tommy McDonald, and uh, you know he, you know no matter what he said on the air, everybody loved Tommy McDonald. 
And uh, he, uh, he was brought in to uh, do a post-game show. And uh, during the preseason, they asked me to uh, kind of hold Tommy's hand because Tommy had never been on the air before. And when the regular season started, management said, okay, Tom, uh, you're on your own. We have the Bill Berge show. We have the uh, uh, Rod Jaworski show. And now we have the Tommy McDonald show. And Ooh. Tommy said, no, 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 no. I'm not doing the show without LeMaine. And so, so he said, okay, <laughs> your man will do the show with you, fine. And uh, uh, we got away with it for several years, including the uh, Super Bowl year when the uh, Eagles lost to the Raiders. We broadcast our show from the uh, Superdome in New Orleans. And uh, mm. Tommy and I just, uh, we got along just terrifically. And we became you, friends. You, you know, and, uh, what people forget about, except people <laughs> like Ari, was the uh, show on, I think it was on Channel 6, 10.30, Saturday nights, Jurgensen to McDonald. Yeah. And the thing that was interesting, and it was live, and just think today when you would not be able to have a live show and allow the quarterback and the wideout to be doing a show, you know, the night before eight. But that shows you what it was like in the uh, in the you know in the late fifties, early sixties. What? I, I I don't remember exactly, Roger, but I I, I think uh, only and I say this only because uh, the Eagles at that time and CBS and the NFL, I believe that the show was on Channel Ten, not not on Channel Six. I what, believe. I thought it was on Six. I thought it was on Six. Okay, whatever. But it's. Uh, you know, but uh, the whole concept was just uh, really. Uh, it was know, a funny. fun Tom, show. It was a fun show. Oh, it was. Uh, you know, Tom, we're, we're talking about the uh, Flyers a little earlier and losing to the Penguins last night and talking about that uh, the Sixers weren't prepared to have fans tonight when they could have had fans. So that was the, to- the topic on uh, WIP this morning on the Angelo Cataldi morning show, let me tell you. There was a lot of controversy. About what? No, about not having fans tonight at the Sixers game. <clears throat> oh, well, you know, you know it's uh, – <laughs> uh, they, they, they set their date as to when they were going to have them in. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, it's one more game. I mean, they're going to have fans after the All-Star break. I guess they didn't want to – I guess they didn't want to <clears throat> throw uh, – um, one game in here with fans, and then they just they wanted to get it ready. Okay, we're going to start the second half of the season after the All-Star break, and then we'll bring fans in. But, you know, we're talking two different sports here. Uh, Pittsburgh had fans for the hockey game, not for Ben. You know, that's, what, that's my game. point, yeah, last night. Yeah. Well, I, you know, um, that game last night, you know, uh, if you would ask me before the game who I thought was going to win, I would say the Penguins, and I'd say why. Well, two reasons. First of all, <laughs> Sidney Crosby is not playing, which means <laughs> guys who don't step up their game because they're waiting to be carried on the game by Sidney Crosby are going to really have a great game, number one. And number two, the Flyers beat Pittsburgh two games in a row early in the season. And I go by the odds, Roger. I said there's, <laughs> there's no way – that Pittsburgh is going to lose three in a row to the Flyers. And, uh, you know, the, the Flyers made a lot of defensive mistakes last night. 
their top defensive line was minus seven. <laughs> you know, well, oh, wow. that you enough, all you had to know about that. You know, um, as good as uh, Shane Gostasbear was the last couple of games, that's how bad he was last night. And uh, mm. Provorov and, and Ghost were a minus seven. And, um, you know, with or without the fans, I, you know, I, I, I think if that was a controversial thing, as you said, Roger, I think too much was made of it. I mean, you know, it's there were, I said, before the you, season, the other thing, Tommy, you could touch on mm-hmm. because a lot of people listening that don't follow hockey or especially don't follow, you know, the Flyers or the Penguins, but uh, Crosby actually came down with the virus. That's why he didn't play last night. So right. he's going to be out for, uh, he's going to be out for a few, uh, a few games. I think, I don't know whether they, whether they're down to five or six uh, days now. I'm not sure whether what the new protocol is for the National Hockey League, but he's going to miss a couple of games. And uh, but the one thing, Tom, that I'd like to ask is that the Flyers were playing so well uh, for the most part early in the season, and we were talking about the depth and how their lines and everything was going uh, right up to the way they expected it. But it, it, it hasn't continued. They sort of been up and down a little bit. Well, they've been more up, I'll tell you, ever since uh, they got the message from their coach, Alain Vigneault, that uh, we want you to shoot more. They went from the least shooting team in the league uh, the, over the last week or so. They've become the hottest, the, uh, the uh, leading team shooting. Uh, they're shooting, I mean, right. they're out shooting the team three, uh, games three to one. Uh, so they got the message, you know, shoot, shoot the puck. I mean, <laughs> you know, that message was so well said that, but even Ben Simmons of the 76ers got the message. He's shooting more. <laughs> Everybody's shooting more. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's the big difference, Don, in answering your question. Um, we have a very deep team, and all of a sudden the second coming of James Van Riemsdyk, uh, he is, uh, you know, he, he just had a, a bad year and a half. But uh, people forget that when he was playing for the uh, – Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, JVR was uh, averaging almost 30, 30 goals a year. So, and uh, he, there's nobody better than James Van Riesdyke in deflecting the puck. His hand eye coordination is better than anybody I've ever seen in hockey. If he's standing on the porch and you're firing a shot toward the net, chances are he's going to deflect it in for you. I mean, he's just, he's amazing at that. And uh, I think the Flyers have finally found a sniper. Uh, Joel Farabee, I think, is the best shot on the team, and uh, they've been longing for a sniper for a long time, and I think he's the guy that really has a good eye uh, for shooting the puck and being on target. Um, they're, they're, as, you, as you said, Don, they're very deep, and um, they're, they're going to go far. I mean, they're, they just have a very good, solid team. I think they have, to me, I thought Alain Vigneault should have won Coach of the Year last year. Um, that's how good I think he is. and. Um, you know, the inconsistency of uh, of Connor Hart is is a little concerning, but they they have a good backup in Elliot. So um, I, I think they're very. But Tommy, you could almost you could almost you could almost throw a blanket over the top five. I mean, you you know you're looking at you know uh, Washington, Boston, the Islanders, uh, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh, uh, and and we talked about this in the first uh, half hour of the show. Maybe you'd have an opinion on it as well. I I think it's much better. I think we're almost back now. Well, not to the original six, but I think the fact that there's so much competition with the way they've changed the schedule, I think it's a mm-hmm. lot better now. I, I just think it's a lot more interesting to watch 
I think that there's now going to be much more uh, rivalries between the cities and the game. Uh, what's your opinion? Well, two very good teams are not going to make the playoffs because of this setup. And you talk, to, you talk, talk to the fans in the city of those two teams who aren't going to make the playoffs. They're going to have winning records. And because they're in mm-hmm. a division with uh, the teams that they're in, uh, two, at least two teams with very good records and a very good year are not going to make the playoffs in that division. And uh, so you, you, know, you get the good with the bad on that setup. And the bad part about it is that, uh, you know, a couple of very good teams. And you don't, you don't want to be one of those teams. You know, uh, Washington or Pittsburgh, uh, two very good teams could end up not making the playoffs because others do. And, and you just, um, you know, Rick Tockett, listening to Rick Tockett last night, made a very good point. He said, because of the setup, they're playing out there. Nobody knows what's going on in Canada. I mean, you got the Canadian mm-hmm. division up there, and, you know, it's so alien anymore that everything is so concentrated on the teams you just mentioned, the division you just mentioned, Don, mm-hmm. that a lot of people don't know what's going on elsewhere. You know, because you right. don't face any of the Canadian teams. You don't face any of the right. Western Conference teams. And uh, who knows what's going on elsewhere. You, everything is going on in the corridor from Boston down the I-95 corridor and uh, Pittsburgh. And that's it. That's all you know about. And it's a very strange situation. But uh, you're right, Don, the competition is is very, very strong in the Flyers division. And uh, as a result, as I said, Two very good teams are not going to make the playoffs because of that. Tommy? Tom, I, w- I want to ask you another Hello. question uh, about uh, Howie uh, Rosen. And uh, <laughs> I understand there's a sign that a guy on a construction crew painted on on pieces of wood that are out there by the 30th Street Station. So everybody, <laughs> I guess, get on the expressway. <laughs> And uh, uh, that's uh, he, he, he's he got to go. I mean, what do you think? Well, that's Philadelphia for you, you know, Roger. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he, you know, I, I just think uh, sometimes he he uh, he outsmarts himself. I mean, that uh, the whole situation with, uh, you know, I, I just don't understand. I, I really don't. You, you give you give Carson Wentz the biggest contract ever. And yeah. uh, and then you trade him for nothing um, in a short amount of time, and uh, and then you draft you know you use a pick to draft a quarterback, you know, I I just don't I don't understand the thinking behind that. Obviously, Doug Peterson didn't understand the thinking behind that, and uh, mm. you know I I just think uh, you know as I mentioned before, <clears throat> Doug Peterson was just looking for a way out here. This yeah, right. would not let him right. quit. He is, if, okay, yeah, you say, yeah, well, he had two years left on his contract, Tom. Okay, fine. You know, a lot of guys have that. But, I mean, his pride would not let him quit. And he just said, uh, you know, how can I get out of this situation? And he, uh, you know, found his way out. Uh, a lot of people say the decision to put the third-string quarterback in there in the last game of the season. Uh, Giant fans will tell you that was terrible. But, you know, I, I just think uh, Howie Roseman is, uh, you know, he. He just, well, you know, he doesn't do anything without the permission of the owner. Don't forget, though, Roger. I mean, you know, he's, yeah. you know, Jeff Lurie has to sign off on all this stuff. But uh, you know, oh boy, we're so smart. We're going to take somebody you never heard of from North Dakota State and make him a star. 
We are the quarterback factory. Eh, we're not the quarterback right. factory. Ohio State's <laughs> the quarterback factory. You know, you know, the teams that play in the Southeast Conference, they're the quarterback factory. That's right. Not, not, yes, not, not, not Howie Roseman and the Philadelphia Eagles. The, the quarterback factory has already cranked out some product before they get to the pros. And if it ain't the SEC, it's the Big Ten or, or, the, or the Pac-12, you know, or, you know, guys coming out of Washington and, and the Northwest. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> well, the well, Tommy, they, they're talking now. We discussed a little bit last week on the show, and, and uh, which is amazing to me. Uh, the New York papers have sort of gone over it more in depth than, than uh, any of the other papers that I've read or radio and television. But, uh, you know, they've got 18 teams that are in a situation where they may be changing quarterbacks. 18 teams, is not, they've wow. come close to that. Right. Well, they, they brought it upon themselves. Um, I, I really, I totally understand the Rams. You know, I, I think the Detroit, the quarterback for the Detroit Lions, man, if he was playing anywhere else in the last several years, he would play it. He'd have been an all-star. I mean, he is just that yeah. good. And, um, you know, I followed the Rams a lot because, you know, I've, I've ever since a kid and I dated the owner's daughter when I was a teenager. You know, I followed the Rams very closely. But, yeah, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, she surprised me. Oh, yeah, my dad owns a team. Oh, that's cool. Um, but you're, uh, the, 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 the trade, you know, was perfect. Uh, I could see that the Rams and uh, their quarterback were at a disconnect. And I always like that quarterback from the Detroit Lions. He he'll be uh, he'll he'll turn that Rams team around 100, 180 uh-huh. degrees. Part of it, see that Don, you would never think that would happen a year ago, right? You would never. And, yeah. and the whole thing with the other quarterbacks move, the quarterback. You know, you have the, you have a coaching carousel, but now you have a quarterback carousel. Well, <laughs> you never think you never think Seattle was going to be making a change of quarterback. I mean. The unrest in Seattle is unbelievable. I mean, there's yeah. uh, a team that's been winning, well, winning, winning. A coach that's been winning, winning, winning. A quarterback that's a winner. And now, all of a sudden, he doesn't want to play. Well, you know, it's it's the five-year rule, Don. <laughs> give a coach five yeah. years. Uh, give a quarterback five years and see what happens after that. And, uh, you know, Pete, Pete Carroll, who was God in Seattle, you know, he may be mm-hmm. out of there now. Um, yeah. Uh, oh boy. It's just uh, it, it because because the NFL season is so short. Um, you just can't when when you don't make the playoffs or you you have a you know you know a, a seven and seven year or something like. Uh, it's just uh, you know it just can turn around so quickly, and um, mm-hmm. I just think that the the quarterback carousel is. Uh, this was a long time coming, Don, and uh, you know you, you have guys who uh, who just uh, ran their course in five years, whether they be coaches, and now it's uh, whether they be quarterbacks, and uh, it's it's pretty amazing, isn't it? But you'll you'll see uh, you'll see big differences in the teams because of these quarterback changes. But all of a sudden, you know, Seattle, hmm. the Bing, the hockey yeah. team is going to be the hottest. Yeah. The hockey team is going to be the hottest team in the city now. Well, Mike Sinjak's about ready to go, Tommy. And, and let me just let me just ask: We started off this uh, segment talking about Earl Cross. Uh, how about a final comment or two before we switch over to Mike uh, Sinjak with uh, 
uh, Washington sports and, and uh, the soccer as well. Uh, you worked with them. You worked with Art Cross, one of the super people. Uh, you used it earlier, classiest, one of the classiest broadcasters you'd ever want to know. And uh, how about a comment or two about you're working with him for so many years at KYW and NBC or 12, but then, but go ahead. Well, it was a short time because, like I said, Don, uh, he and I both came to Channel 3 at the same time. And uh, he was, uh, at the, you know, he was just too good. <laughs> it was too good to be local. I mean, net- networks swooped him up right away. But for a guy who didn't really have any training in broadcasting, he was just as smooth. And, uh, you know, he, he could be, he did it without even breaking a sweat. And uh, not only that, but he was able to communicate uh, the game in, in a fashion where the fan watching or listening in could understand it. I mean, he was very clear, distinct. He had a very good voice. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, to his credit, of course, as you mentioned, you know, the first minority to break into the field like that. But I never even thought of it that way. I, I just thought, hey, mm-hmm. Irv Cross is the announcer. He's a broadcaster. And he's a damn good one. And, uh, you know, he just uh, fit into that whole situation from the first time he opened hey, Tom, the box. Yeah. You know, before you go, I just want to uh, one last thing. And uh, you know, if if you think back on the Super Bowl telecast, okay, what uh, a month ago, right? Uh, and you saw uh, Russell Wilson, his wife, and Goodell. Many times they showed them talking, the three of them. Mm-hmm. And you saw Russell Wilson's face. Now that this is all surfaced, I wonder how much of a discussion was in that with uh, commissioner's uh, conversation at the Super Bowl. With regard to what, Raj? About him being unhappy in Seattle and talking to the commissioner about this after he was man of the year. They showed so many times uh, during that game of the three of them together. uh, Well, you're reading body language uh, the way you want to see it, I guess, Roger. I, I, I I really wonder if that if that topic of conversation came up. You know, what's he going to say? Hey, Mr. Goodell, I'm really tired of playing in Seattle. Can you do something for me? I don't think that works that way. I don't really. I don't, no, no, I don't think no. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, about if, if, if everything surfaced right after the Super Bowl about his unhappiness. Well, I think. After well, was, if you're in Seattle, I think if you're in Seattle, it surfaced before that. You know, I mean, you know, sometimes sometimes the information from the great Northwest <laughs> is a little late getting to the East Coast. And, you know, <laughs> you're not on top of the situation until all of a sudden it becomes a national thing when you see the mm-hmm. commissioner and, 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 and the quarterback talking in the booth there. But, uh, oh, wait a minute, uh, people out in Seattle, oh, that's nothing new to us. That's been going on for some time. Y'all just picking it up now because it was uh, shown at the Super Bowl. So mm-hmm. I think that was bub- I think that was bubbling under way before. Uh, and also, also remember, man of the year too, Roger. I mean, uh, I know he was you know, man of the year. It may not, it may not have been football. He may have been, may, may have been honoring him because he was man of the year. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, there's the combination there, and of course, uh, Pete. You know, he's he's going to make sure. You know, Roger Goodell's going to make sure that he can pick up any good PR as best way he can. Uh, in some way to earn his $45 million a year, whatever you know, he's got. And I guess, you know, putting on, putting on the face of, uh, you know, of the, uh, of the 
popular quarterback from Seattle, his way to mm-hmm. do it. And uh, I wouldn't read too much into that, Roger. I mean, uh, you know, it's been, you know, people see body language in different ways, and uh, sometimes they don't understand it. The way it's going down. Well, I mean, thank you very, very much, and we'll uh, we'll jump in. We'll jump in with the Flyers and with you uh, at a later date because we always like to check with the Flyers as they uh, as you said, a blanket cover right now, and we'll see what happens as the second half of the season really rolls through. But thank you very much, Tommy. You got it. Uh, always great you. to talk to you, Tom. All right, Roger. See you down the road. Okay, All right, Mike Zipchak is ready now, and, and a lot of things happening in Washington, as a matter of fact. Uh, Washington, Uh-oh. Baltimore area, as well as the world of soccer. Mike, welcome back to the show. Uh, what would you like to lead off with, soccer tonight, football, basketball? What's on your mind? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. You said there was a lot happening. I was wondering if you knew something I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I kid you not, the biggest news here today. Smith, Smith was the biggest news I know of the last twenty last twenty four hours because uh, uh, we talked about it last week. I think that's a pretty big move by Washington to, to to dump them. Yeah, but the funny thing is, you know what? They haven't actually dumped them. Ooh, but they're going to. Well, okay. So the news broke here on Monday that they were going to release him. Uh, right. It is now. Uh, 8.45 on Wednesday evening, and they still haven't. Wow. Oh, I thought he so, was gone, too. Yeah, no, they, I, 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 they said I, 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 that they were, you know, the report was that they were intending to release him and before the end of the week. But as of right now, he's actually still a Washington football team player. Yeah, but he made a lot of comments. He made a lot of statements. I mean, the uh, uh, you have to go to what he had to say, too, not just what the club proposed that they may be released. But I just say proposed. They weren't saying or maybe they're going to release him. They said they were going to release him. But the uh, his comments back at them uh, I thought were very interesting. I, I think the whole entire thing is very interesting, and I think the whole entire thing is very interesting, especially because on Monday it wasn't that they were going to release him. It was that they were going to release him before the end of the week. Now, I don't understand this because I don't see what you gain by delaying something that you're going to say. Why not just say, we're, we're, we're parting ways, that's the end of it. As of right now, there's been no official release from the, the, the team um, saying that he's been released. They haven't, and he's still, as of right now, there's no indication that they've actually gone through and released them. They made all the statements. Um, there were some interesting comments that he made, both in the GQ article last week and then in the follow-up um, social media interview. Um, he had quite a few things to say about the team name and things like that. Uh, I don't know that there's a... Well, he didn't ingratiate himself to the organization at all because... Uh, you know, you think, as you mentioned, the fact that it hasn't legally or hasn't officially been announced, but, uh, you know, he put a lot of pressure on them with his comments, and, uh, uh, boy, it'd be pretty well, tough I, for him to go back and play there now, even if they didn't release him. Oh, he'd have a tough time with his teammates and to play there. Well, I, I, he didn't go out against his teammates. He definitely went out against the organization. He complained about the organization. If I'm Ron Rivera, 
I don't really particularly want any part of him right now because he basically said what we all knew, like Ron didn't really want him to play. And the feeling up here is like, okay, you know, he, we congratulate him. He came back. It was a great story, but they Mm -hmm. did a um, interesting thing on the, the radio this morning or yesterday morning talking about like, what's the most memorable thing about Alex Smith's tenure as a Redskin. And the only thing that he, people could come up with was the game that he got hurt and that he yeah. came back. <laughs> hmm. I wish he'd retire have, and not take any chances. Yeah, he had an amazing record up here. And he got injured when they were 6-3. and three. But nobody could – they said, like, what's the top five Alex Smith games? And they were like – and everybody was like, okay, number one, the game he got hurt. Two, three, four, five, the game that he came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's – and it's an interesting situation for the football team in general because, you know, by releasing Alex Smith right now, they're going into the season as it stands with Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke as their proposed quarterbacks. I understand that Ron likes Kyle Allen – uh, you know, he played. He started for him his last season after um, Cam Newton got hurt. His, the last season or part of a season that he coached down down in uh, Carolina, that was his starting quarterback. He feels like he knows the system. The thing about Ty- Taylor Heineke that I don't get is, you know, do you really I – mean, here's a guy who wasn't good enough to start in the XFL. I understand that we have some blind spots. And that, you know, it's possible to find a gem. You know, there are the Tom Brady's and the Kurt Warner's out there. But Mm -hmm. here's a guy who's been through basically every football league imaginable (laughs) and wasn't able to start. He didn't have a starting gig in the XFL. And you want to tell me he's the future of the Redskins now? Oh, and by well, the way, he, he's not young. He's well, let me ask, let me ask you this, Mike, uh, because uh, I've also seen a lot about uh, Cam coming back. Cam, but he can't do anything until he's released, until his contract is up with with the Patriots. But mm-hmm. there's been a lot of conversation that he may be uh, going back to Washington or going to Washington. Smart move. I I don't. You know, I don't know how I feel about that. I think if you can get a clean bill of health on Cam Newton and get him on a short-term deal, then it might be a good fit. But the only way that it's a good fit is if you pick a quarterback or get somebody to come in who you think is going to be, you know, that you can use to groom or something like in that capacity. So you have the quarterback that you believe is going to be the future. They've committed themselves to Kyle Allen. They've committed themselves at least for the next year or two to uh, Taylor Heineke. Um, and to be honest, you don't normally see – again, there are those draft gems. You know, Russell Westbrook was one. You get picked in the third round. Dak Prescott. Um, well, he's got a lot of quarterbacks to draw from. I mean, not only the draft, but I mean, with all the quarterbacks moving around in the league. He's got a lot of quarterbacks, yeah, they to, don't have, you know. I mean, if you want to get, like, Sam Darnold or somebody, you're going to have to trade the 19th pick, right? Are you going to trade the 19th pick for, for Sam Darnold and 
pick up Cam, uh, Cam Newton? Probably not, because then you'd be with four quarterbacks on the, on the roster. No, I that wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that anyway. I wouldn't do no. that anyway. Um, they don't have the draft capital to move up higher than 19, or or high enough to get somebody that they like at the top of the draft. You know, and you know, people started to throw cold water on the idea. The one that I see in the in the carousel that's most frequently mentioned with them beyond Cam Newton is Sam Darnold. And you really have – I feel like you just really have to have seen something in Sam Darnold to to want to pick him. You know, and do you really want to give what, – what is the price for Sam Darnold right now? I, I, well, I, I mean, it, there's, still a lot of spec, there's still a lot of speculation as to whether they're going to trade him or not or what they're going to do right, with him. Yeah. Right. But they, I, they I don't, don't think that's they, a – You're right. Go ahead, right. Redskins are in – they made – yes, they made an offer for Matthew Stafford. It was not enough. Um, Jared Goff is now off the table. You know, you've heard Russell Westbrook, but if Russell Westbrook goes, his price is going to be only slightly lower than Deshaun Watson's, and the Redskins don't have or don't have the pieces or the pieces that are going to be asked for are probably going to be like Montez Sweat and and or Chase Young, who are guys they don't really want to give up. Um, So they're probably not in that sweepstakes which leaves you with the likes of, like, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, Cam Newton, um, and Sam Darnold. And, you know, maybe uh, Ron's playing this right and seeing, like, where all the chips land and seeing who's left out there because they seem pretty interchangeable to me. Well, it'll be interesting uh, uh, to see. I I just wanted to – not to get off the subject, but – just talk about soccer a little bit, um, Mike. Okay, uh, Because I got I got the uh, schedule today for the Atlanta United. As a matter of fact, just got a little while ago. And uh, what's interesting is that, and I guess maybe other MLS teams are going to do this, um, they have four exhibition, well, uh, the first four, I should say, exhibition games. Um, it's One is against the... Uh, uh, Tormentia, uh, Tormenta Blocker uh, uh, Club. Then the Charleston Battery is on March 20th. The 24th, it's the Chattanooga, uh, the uh, uh, football club, and then the Birmingham Legion Football Club. So these have all got to be like semi-pro teams, right? That, well, the Charleston uh, that... Battery, I know, are Atlanta United's uh, USL affiliate. They don't okay. have – we're not – the union released theirs, right? They have two preseason scrimmages. They're not even calling them games. They're calling them scrimmages and with a third option out there. So they're going to be up here. They're at um, – I'm just using them as an example. They're, they're in uh, Wilmington at the uh, uh, 76ers Fieldhouse. They're going to be at in Chester until – um, mid-March, then they're going to go down to Clearwater for a couple of weeks before the, and play three exhibitions, it looks like, down there. Uh, I know the Chicago Fire and Orlando City are two of them. Uh, mm. They haven't announced the name for the third. And then they'll come back to Philly for their CONCACAF Champions League game on the 14th of April before they start the season on the 17th. 
uh, uh, some teams have scheduled more of these preseason events. It doesn't even look like they're games. They're calling them scrimmages. But mm-hmm. what you call it, I guess, doesn't really matter. It depends on the format. I have some concerns about how the union are going to go into their first couple of games or how any MLS team is going to go into their first couple of games with just a few scrimmages under their belt. Because, you you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it would prepare you. A scrimmage to me doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to prepare you for uh, game action. But we've seen in the NFL, like, the coaches seem to value those combined practices more than they actually do the preseason games. Mm-hmm. So if it is a situation where we have – you know, a referee and you're playing two, uh, 11 on 11 for two halves, 40 minutes, you know, they're, they're playing, they're getting, it may have the same sort of, it may give you the same read, the same environment that you would if you played a simulated a, a friendly, right? Because it's not mm-hmm. like in the preseason, anybody's really going out there to tackle or anything like that. Everybody's trying not to get hurt. So that, it seems like Atlanta Based on what you're telling me, Roger, it seems like Atlanta's made the decision that they're going to stay local and play a lot of the uh, nearby affiliates in the USL and semi-pro teams well, who want to come and get in the, in the game shape again. Yeah, so. on, on April 6th, Mike, they're going to go to Costa Rica and play. And then yeah, the, that's, the, the, um, that's the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah. And they're going to, so and that's, then a, they're that's going to a real match. Well, they're going to come and play the, the United, and instead of playing at the United Training Center in Marietta, they're playing at Kennesaw because it's mm-hmm. Kennesaw has the uh, football stadium. You know, it's Kennesaw University. I mean, that's, that's going to be the highest uh, 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 student population of any uh, Georgia uh, university uh, in, in the near term. It's, it's just huge, getting huge. And uh, so they're going to be there, and then the regular season opens up April seventeenth. If they're going to Costa Rica, though, that's a that's a um, that's a uh, Champions League match. So that's a that's mm. that's game. That that's a home and home tie. That's a that's an actual live game for them. Yeah. Yep. They had uh, what you know. What's amazing? Um, they have had the club has set multiple league records, including season ticket sales of 36,000 plus wow. single, single game attendance, 72,548 with an average mm. of 53,002 and total home attendance. This is amazing. 901,033. Mm. Wow. So, is, and this, is this for, is this for next year or um, previous years? No, this is previous years, you know, Mm. Uh, yeah, Roger, how does that compare to Seattle, which has been the focal point of the league for such a long time? Don, right. I, I don't have that. I'll have to get it. But I'll tell you, uh, you know, our old friend Chris Winkler from the, uh, uh, the you know, when he was with the uh, 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 union, uh, you know, he's obviously uh, there, you know, here now. And now that I'm here, I'm going to be in touch with him and get over there and, and see it and, and get to the games because, uh um, I, I mean, you know, we've talked about this attendance, Mike, and, you know, Don, Tommy, and Frank many, many times. 
I mean, and, and like you said, Mike, they were right on top of it from the very beginning. But then when you see the hard, the hard numbers, I mean, it's even more impressive to me. Yeah, they have well, I just had, thought Seattle has been such a, such a competitive team and such a championship caliber team. I thought they would have led the league in attendance. Why, do you, you have any, any numbers on oh, a, no. what Seattle has done? Since Atlanta United came into the league, they have led the league in attendance. And they have uh, – last I checked, and this, of course this is pre-COVID, but there weren't any fans last year, so it doesn't re- really matter. Uh, they have right. had three of the top four games attendance-wise in MLS history. Mm. So they, um, well, they, they, they have – Atlanta United has really set the benchmark. And I think one of the reasons is they are a team that plays in Atlanta, right, that mm-hmm. has that capacity. You know, not for nothing, the Braves don't play anywhere near Atlanta. So you really just got the Falcons, and you, as far as outdoor or you know warm, warm, more weather sports, you've got you've got the Falcons and you've got Atlanta United and in in Atlanta, and those are the only two franchises there. You know, I guess theoretically, the the Hawks could draw like that, but the average op- attendance, the okay. op- how much of of uh, Mercedes Benz they open will always give uh, Atlanta the opportunity to be amongst the league's biggest draws. It helps that they came into the league. They were very successful their first year. They won the uh, MLS Cup their second year. You know, last year was a bit of a disappointment, but in talking to Mike uh, earlier this season, you know, they're starting to bounce back. They've got a good organization. They've got a good leader. And it's a team that has invested in success, and that shows up at the gates. You know, give them a couple of years. You know, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, for instance, somehow they end up bad for a couple of years. But right now, none of those numbers uh, surprise me, Roger. They've been the league's biggest draw since they entered the league. Roger, you want to wrap this? You want to wrap this segment up? Go ahead. Yeah, I I was just, you know, going to say that uh, you're exactly right, Mike. They have been, but uh, you know, it's when you see hard numbers. Uh, you know, it really jumps out at you. That's my point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, those numbers are, are surprising. And I think on top of that, Roger, and you can tell, uh, Chris, I said this, those hard numbers put them in the top 20, I believe. They put them in the top 20 of soccer teams worldwide. Wow. Wow. I'll ask, wow. I'll ask them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're in the top you know, they're in the top five, ten percent of soccer teams worldwide. Like they, they have bigger draws than much bigger teams in Europe. Um, so they're, they're in the top. I know they're in the top fifty worldwide. Well, this time well, next week, we'll Mike, we'll have we'll have the exact numbers for you this time next week, yeah, right. and we'll we'll get back into it. Thank you very much once again, and we'll have we'll have the Smith situations. We'll have the Smith situation straight down when you come on next week. You can tell us all no, about it. It's the Washington football team. There's no way we'll have that figured out. <laughs> oh, boy. That's nice right. a lot. It took them two years to find a name. They can't find a quarterback that quickly. Anyway, I'll talk to you guys later. Have a good one. Okay. Thank you. Have a great well, our, our PGA professional is on here at uh, Doug Hamilton. Uh, first of all, I don't know whether you had any chance to see what happened at concessions down here over the weekend. 
if there was ever a time to advertise Sarasota, Florida, and how great it is were the four days that they played concessions because every single day was about as good as you could get, 81 degrees, no wind, and uh, not a cloud in the sky, and 46 of the 50 greatest players on the PGA Tour were here. Uh, did you have a chance to see any of it? No, unfortunately I did not. I um, I was probably too busy filing for the planet. I'm too busy sorry, what? I, I missed that. I said I was I was too busy filing for unemployment. <laughs> oh, <no>. oh geez. <laughs> yeah, well, that's quite a that's quite a process if you've never done it. I mean, they they oh, uh, they really take you through a lot. Yeah, right. Yeah, I'm still waiting. So, are you? Yeah, from well, last then, year. Well, go ahead, Roger. Yeah. Well, Roger, I'll tell you what, New Jersey, because I lived in Pennsylvania. I mean, it's a nightmare. And then they send you an email and says, oh, we've been paying unemployment. I, I have yet to receive a penny. What do you mean you're paying me unemployment? Let's not get into that. Well, <laughs> the the, uh, the adjudication process where they have to go through and, and do fact findings and figure out, like, you know, what, what was the nature of the separation and, you know, all these different, you know, whatevers. And so – but. No, this uh, stand, pretty pretty much standard weekends are, uh, you know, my, mom and dad come over on Saturday. Um, sometimes dad and I shoot some, some pool in the basement. Um, you know, mom's mom, she brings as much food as she possibly can to put in the freezer. Um, you know, Sunday was, I think, family day with with, uh, with Candace's folks. Um, we just did some dinner. So, I mean, I'm, you know tapping into lost times in terms of spending time with family and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just been good for me. It's really is. It's been good. Some, something's going to happen here real soon. I'm, I'm on the brink. I've got, um, I didn't say anything to Frank, but I've got, uh, I had an interview Sunday that, that was, that wasn't very good. Um, not, not on my part, but, um, the facility itself wasn't, you know, I, I think I'd rather work it maybe Walmart or Target or something like that, as opposed to the place <laughs> that I visited. Um, not, not to say there's anything wrong with that, uh, either one of those two. Um, but, um, you know, I've got something else in the works here that's, um, I got, I got a good feeling about here. So hopefully, um, you know, this time next week, I'll be, I won't have to worry about whether they can pay me my $430 or not. You'll be situated. <laughs> right. Well, the thing right. is that uh, you, you know you got unfortunately right at the worst possible time in the in the not only the Christmas right. holidays but January, February, and everything mm-hmm. is just shut down. So now well, the golfing club will open up for you in, in the uh, Northeast, yeah. and uh, so right. I would think that uh, although the weather really had been very very cooperative well, over the last month, even plenty of snow and everything else. This is true, and I and I tell you this, Don. I mean, I'm not the most religious guy in the world, but, but I know what I believe in. And, um, you know, for me to have been removed from my previous employer was, um, an incredible blessing, uh, for me to seek life elsewhere and, and, um, and grow as a human being. And I think that, you know, being removed from that place was a disturbance to, uh, my otherwise comfortable zone of life that you can't develop in. Um, you know, so to get outside of that comfort zone and, um, you know, have some opportunities to do other things, I think is a blessing for me mm-hmm. to continue to, to grow as a human being. And so it's, it's going to turn out for the best. Um, 
you know, and I, I do believe that good things happen to good people and, and everybody deserves a, an opportunity in life. And, and, you know, I just have to be a willing participant and be patient in the process and good things are going to happen. Well, as a PGA professional, uh, you know, you're, you're in a pretty select group of people. And uh, uh, mm-hmm. I would think that even though, you know, it's not like working at General Motors where they have 5,000 employees. I mean, you know, it's right. also sure. a select area for employment as well. And uh, yeah. so that's got to make it a little bit more difficult for the ground floor. Well, and, and also consider the fact that I stayed at my previous location for 16 years. And if that's more of the, mm. you know, the rule, not the exception, then there aren't really that many uh, positions to start that are available. And then there's even less because people have tenure. So, um, you know, I mean, look, it, life is life is a series of events that being in the right place at the right time um, yes. is paramount. And you know, um, you know, for me to have met met Candace was, you know, in itself a blessing. Um, you know that that I just was in the right place at the right time, and that happened, and it worked. Um, you know, the 16 years ago when I got that job, I was in the right place at the right time, and it worked. Right. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's timing is everything. And I think this, I'm in a good spot right now. And I think that, that, that my timing is good. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's, that's great. News, Doug. News. Doug, just don't be frustrated. I've been there that boat several times. I keep on saying to myself is not what you know is who, you know, it takes one day true. at a time. And Doug, you're my prayers. As always, yeah. to find a good job for you know for find a good now the weather's starting to turn up there, so be more yep. you know adaptive opportunities to go out. You know if you get frustrated, hit the golf ball around. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. yeah Doug, no, you know, well, you know, Doug, you can use Tommy as a uh, as a um, lead because uh, yeah. in life because um, he hasn't worked a, a day in his goddamn life. I mean, he's all he does is play golf. <laughs> Well, Frank, I'll tell you this, Frank, if you, if you have a job that you truly enjoy and love, you'll never work a day in your life. So I'm, I'm fairly right. jealous right. that that's the case. So, um, you know, and that's, I, I, I agree with that a hundred percent. I think we've been really well, fortunate, all of, all of us. And, and, uh, oh, yeah. uh you're, you're going to be in the same boat because you're, you're doing something well, that you really love to do. And, uh, mm-hmm. you, you're, as you say, you're not really going with those. Those 15 years, 16 years, 17 years, you really weren't going to work. You were going to to, to do mm-hmm. something that you really enjoyed and you wanted to do. Exactly. Well, and, and the critical portion of that is, you know, um, I just had this conversation because, you know, I was I was talking about it. And, um, you know, I, I always made an, eff- made an effort to endear myself to my membership and to treat, um, you know, each and every member with respect and, and treat them fairly and do the right thing and, you know, I always stayed true to myself in the process, you know, working for a, a club that was a for-profit entity. I certainly understand that the bottom line is paramount, but, you know, at the same time, you, you never want to make money at, at the expense of another person, whether it's an employee or, or a member, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of either gouging them or, or doing the wrong thing. And I was always proud of myself for staying true to who I was as a human being in terms of the decisions that I made that were the right decision for you know, that particular case in point, um, not, not for the fact that I could make the most money or, you know, I can honestly tell you that I, I, I try, I went through club fittings with people and recommended they not buy a set of clubs, um, because their golf swing just wasn't ready yet. 
um, you know, so certainly that wasn't a, a good maneuver for the bottom line in terms of profitability. But at the same time, you know, when you establish that version of credibility with your membership and trust, um, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit goes a long way and you'll get that back, you know, five or 10 times over in the long run if you make the right decision. And that's why I say I'm proud of my actions at that club because I stayed true to myself. Um, yes. Somebody else is going to find that to be an, a really good characteristic and it's going to get me ahead in the long run. Um, you know, and we always hope that we want to do something that we love to do, which you guys did. And we always hope that the, that the, the money trails that in terms of, of catching up at some point in time. But um, I've never chased dollar bills um, because I've always believed that it's super important that when you put your feet, uh, feet on the floor every day, that you have a direction and that you have a goal. And they always mm-hmm. say that, you know, what is your why? You know, if, if your why doesn't make you emotional and if, if you have to wake up with an alarm clock, then you're just going to a job, man. So, Roger. No, it's very true. Uh, and, uh, you know, on a positive, uh, which, you know, Tommy was saying with the weather, uh, I uh, went uh, over to the uh, Braves uh, AAA uh, affiliate uh, ballpark today because I was down in that area. And uh, uh, it was told that uh, minor league baseball, they've announced, the uh, major leagues have announced that they will start, I think it's May 1st. They've delayed mm-hmm. the start of the minor league wow. season. Mm-hmm. But that's good news. Uh, we'll have minor that, league is, baseball back too. Is that Gwinnett, Roger? Pardon me. Is that yeah. Gwinnett? That's yeah. Gwinnett. Yeah, you you know uh, what you mm-hmm. know where it is. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, they changed the name, uh, Doug. You know, from when it was the Braves, and it's now uh-huh. the Stripers. Uh, okay. It's been like that's, that. Yeah, the Braves. The Braves was probably offensive to the poor people in the world that thought so. Probably. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, well the Yankees right. were down here yesterday to play the to play the Orioles at the Ed Smith Stadium. Uh they brought quite a few of their uh of their regular players down, I gotta say. Uh, mm-hmm. uh they made it was it was a good ball game, four to two. Um but uh most of the newspaper columnists are still uh, very, very apprehensive about picking the Orioles anywhere <laughs> other than last place and <laughs> Uh, well, listen, I think I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be another tough season for him. I think. Well, come on down. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm a pie in the sky kind of guy when it comes to you know glasses always half full. But gee whiz, I mean, you know, let's be realistic. I mean, the the Orioles are still in you know what the third year of a a lengthy you know rebuilding process, and you know, I believe that they've made some incredibly good draft picks uh, slash maneuvers with you know development of players and trades and those sorts of things that you know, um, hopefully pan out. Uh, I think there's, there's help on the way in terms of, of, uh, you know, what's down in the minor leagues, but, you know, there's right. always going to be Wade LeBlanc who pitched today, um, is, is an innings eater. I mean, if, you know, Rodriguez, uh, or Matt Harvey have anything left in the tank, they're just, you know, going to, going to pitch to, you know, get us through the season. I mean, I, I completely understand the, you know, the business nature of, of what they're doing. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, look, um, I think um, the shortstop that used to play for the Phillies they picked up, Galvis, I think his name is. I mean, throw him out Freddie there. Galvis, he's, incredible. Yeah. He, he's incredible player. I mean, he'll he'll do fine. I mean, but, you know, they're certainly not going to win a World Series with him. Uh, but you look at Van Steeny's back, which is which is a plus, um, you know, based on his health concerns. Um, you know, you have uh, Hayes and Santander and, and Cisco and, and Severino and, and – uh, uh, they picked up a guy uh plays second base, Yomer Sanchez or something his name is, and 
Rio Ruiz and, and all these guys are just no names. But I mean, you start looking at you look at the Yankees payroll. Mm-hmm. You know, look at look at Tampa how how well they did last year. You know, uh, the Blue Jays are an up and coming team that spent some money on Springer and some other you know pieces for their. I mean, at best well, the, the Orioles would finish fourth, and that's if the Red Sox collapse. So okay, they're going to finish last. I mean, you give them another you know top five, top ten draft pick. I mean, they're just going to keep stocking the cupboards. And eventually, it's going to catch up. Well, even for Casey, Toronto was going to be a factor uh, for the last three consecutive years, and Toronto plays well at a time, uh, but they don't play play consistently well. And uh, as you mentioned, the Red Sox are sort of an oddity. You don't know exactly what the Red Sox are going to be able to do. And when you talk about the Rays down here, uh, you know, their lineup is as, well, I don't say as good as anybody else's, but it's pretty good. And uh, well, the Yankees, pitching Yankees have the great lineup, but they also have a lot of question marks from pitching standpoint. So everybody in the American mm-hmm. League East is going to have some some competition against one another. Uh, but you certainly, uh, you know, everybody's saying the Yankees are in the best position, and I would have to agree with that right now. That you know mm-hmm. they've got the deepest and the best personnel, and uh, Cespedes was uh, worked out yesterday. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you, whether you read anything about him. He uh, yeah. Uh, worked out yesterday, and he's a player you get very cheaply. If he doesn't get sure. hurt or fake getting hurt, yeah, he'd be a player I would think would fit in with the Orioles if he gave him a one-year contract. And that, you know, sure. he wouldn't have to give more than a one-year contract. It would be all on the come, you know, short money and uh, a lot of incentives. I mean, that would be what I would think of if I were a general manager. Uh, but he might mm-hmm. be a player that could help you. You know, Don. They also said I was paying attention. I believe I watched just a maybe an inning or two of, of the uh, the Blue Jays. Maybe it was just the highlights that were on ESPN or whatever I saw. But they said that Vladimir Guerrero lost 42 pounds in the offseason. And mm-hmm. I saw him I saw him playing first base. He still looks huge. I mean, how much did he actually weigh before he lost the 42 pounds? He had to have weighed. He weighed a heck of a lot. God dang near 300 you- pounds. I mean, wh- how big was he? I mean, he still looks like he, you know, has a caboose. I mean, he's he's a big dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're you're right. I mean, he was he was a big guy. I I would say I'm I'm just guessing, but I would say he probably weighed somewhere around two sixty to two seventy would have been my guess. Uh, now, whether he's mm-hmm. down to two fifty or down to uh, two twenty or two thirty, uh, I don't know. But uh, I, I would mean, say last year, I'd say last year fifty to sixty would probably be where he was. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he's a I mean he's a tall guy, so I mean you start talking about someone who's you know, six two, six three, six four, and they weigh two hundred and twenty five pounds. I mean, that's not incredible. I mean, I'm I'm six foot two fifteen. So, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, he he had to have weighed two eighty. Well, I'm six two two twenty two, and mm-hmm. and I've dropped uh, you know about thirty eight pounds. So uh, good, nice. You know, over a, over a period of time, obviously. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, well, we're, we're right. talking here, you're, you know, during the off season. He what he did was he went on a, you know, obviously a, a monumental diet in the off season, and and uh, mm-hmm. but you know, they, there's been a number of players that uh, they they keep trying to. In fact, uh, one of the big things they said about Cespedes in the workout was how much better shape he was in now coming mm-hmm. to a tryout than he was going to the Mets. Hopefully, at spring <laughs> training last year. And, but he hadn't played two years, really. He's only played about 50 games in two years. Yeah. So whoever yeah. decides to take a chance on him, uh, his reputation, mm-hmm. number one, 
and uh, take a chance. I was going to give them short money, but I would think a team like the Orioles that, uh, and also your first baseman's uh, mm. spent a lot of time the last couple of days down here talking about how he's changed his swing. He's going to do this mm. and that. Well, we'll wait and see on that. I, <laughs> I, I yeah, don't know too many guys hit home runs like he does to change their swing, but we'll wait and see. Sure. You know, well, available, I mean, and, and this will be a guy that we thought was going to be a superstar just a few years ago. Michael, uh, oh, it was the Phillies' uh, third baseman, Franco, Michael Franco. Mike Franco. When Larry yeah. Bowen told you he had the best hands since Mike Schmidt. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, they said there are a host of, uh, you know, players out there that uh, just it's just a matter of having a – well, let's go back to what we were talking about with, uh, with the Washington Redskins. I mean, or, uh, the, you know, you got to have the right general manager. You got to have the right people up front <laughs> to make these choices because everybody doesn't have the Yankees' $220 million payroll. And as you <laughs> mentioned, uh, Doug, the, the Rays down here had a – what seventy million dollar payroll they got to the World Series. Mm. So right. if you got the right people making the right choices, uh, yep. you, you know it, it's to me. Uh, we were talking about Smith and the controversy going on there at quarterback in Washington. Hey, you know uh, if, if you got the right general manager in there, he, he makes mm-hmm. trades and he gets he gets a quarterback he wants and he, and he improves his team and he improves the whole team up and down the line. But you got to mm-hmm. have the right people in the front office. Well, listen, this this goes hand-in-hand, hand, Don, with what we just talked about. So, you know, the, the evaluation of talent, um, you know, is, is what makes or breaks, you know, any of these organizations, whether you're a corporation or whether you're the, you know, uh, Baltimore Orioles or the Ravens or any of these places where people say, hey, look, you know, this guy over here, you know, he, he, he had a pretty good, you know, whatever run with so-and-so, and, and they let him go. Okay, well – you know, is he a fit for my team? You know, what, what kind of character is he? What kind of skill set does he have? I mean, and that's, you know, certainly where I fall into, you know, after being at a facility for 16 years, you know, they moved on, you know, somebody's going to be lucky to pick me up and they're going to, they're going to get a chance to see all yep. the things that I did for that other facility that they didn't mm-hmm. appreciate that now I'm going to bring to another facility. And they're going to say, Holy crap, we've been looking for that. You know, so right. you look at a guy like Alec, you look at a guy like Alex Smith, Okay, well, you know, he came out of the woodworks, you know, after being in one of the most gruesome leg injuries, you know, rehabilitating himself and taking the Redskins to the playoffs. And I understand it's a business, but they let him go. Well, guess what? He still wants to play football. Can he be an effective quarterback for a team like, I don't know, let's say the Jacksonville Jaguars, where he played for Urban Meyer at Utah? You know, um, you know, can he be the guy that comes into that locker room, plays for a year or two maybe, and develops a quarterback that they draft? So. You know, it, well, it's going to be tough for Irving because he got to take. He's going to take one. So quite, I mean, that's pretty much fate complete that he's going to sure. he's going to take and start. And I don't know what his backup quarterback situation is. Uh, well, it's the top of my well, head. But uh, I mean, I certainly think that Smith. Uh, I think the Smith would would certainly, uh, as Roger said in the last half hour, and I agree with him. I think he does want to play a little bit more another year, mm-hmm. even though he's what sure. played what eighteen now or nineteen. Uh, but I, I, he certainly would be an insurance policy for a team that has, you know, a front-line yeah. quarterback. Sure. Exactly. The guys, t- take time out. Frank, Frank just said tick, tick, tock, up against Mickey's clock again. So, Boy, that went quick. The show tonight, it was great. <laughs> Appreciate everybody. It was awesome, you know. Mike, awesome. you know, 
Frank, thank you. You, you just keep us all together, brother. Thank you, Doug. And uh, we'll get together again next week. And uh, everybody yes, chipped in tonight. And, and we certainly give our, our best to Irv Cross's family. Uh, everybody was yes. thinking about him as, uh, during the entire uh, a two-hour show tonight. And, and we'll be thinking about it for a long time. So, Irv Cross, yes, uh, our best wishes go out to his family. Frank? Yes, we do. God bless. Thanks, Have a great week, everyone. Thank you, guys. I'd like to thank always our I'd like to thank always our guest panel, Roy Cummings from the your Tampa Bay legend, and also Roger Henner from Atlanta and Don Henderson slash Jersey in Sarasota. Like our guest coming on, uh, Tom Lemaine, the agent, the sports agent came on, uh, Mike Simsack and Doug Hamilton every week, and most of all, it goes to you, Frank. Thank you every week. You do a great job every week and week out, and and, and thank you. And this goes out to, we tribute the show to Bill Wickett. Bill, good luck in that show. And tell Sean Henry I said hello. Frank, great job as always. And have, you guys have a beautiful, blessed week, Frank. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to men and women in the United States Armed Forces and men and women police and fire services. When you're out there and you see someone in uniform, please. Let them know that you know they're there. It's very, very tough times for people in uniform, both domestically and foreign. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty, Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Banger, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Lieutenant Mike Zerber, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Unlawful Crispin, Lakeland PD. Chief Al Hogel, Longwood Cave Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Highway Patrolman Alonzo Moses, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Lazaro, Philadelphia Highway Patrol, Highway Patrolman Brian Murphy, Plymouth Township, PA Highway Patrol, Lieutenant Bob Neary, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant Mike Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Office, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Jonathan Scott Pine, Orange County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Robert Germain, Windermere Florida Police Department, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department. Hillsborough County Deputy Sheriff Charlie Kotloff. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Ronnie Bond, Delaware State Police. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Artif Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. FDLE Special Inspector Vinny Galaccio, Delaware State Trooper Corporal Stephen Boward, Kissimmee Patrol Officer Matt Baxter, Kissimmee Sergeant Sam Howard, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Deputy Bill Gentry, Highland County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Clay Zerba, Clay County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Natalie Corona, LA County Sheriff's Department, Deputy April Rodriguez, Pisco County Sheriff's Department, Officer Bob McCatchen, Biloxi, Kentucky Police Department, Trooper Joe, Bull- Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Sergeant uh, Brian Levate, uh, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. And Deputy Mike Malik, Pinellas um, County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be t- 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. 
type of, we love you anyway, man.